you have your Bibles with you tonight, would you open them please to the fourth gospel, the gospel of John. And tonight we're continuing in our sermon series in Sunday evening and called Jesus According to Jesus. If you want to know who Jesus is, just ask Jesus, he'll tell you. So far we've seen that he is the bread of life. He's the light of the world, and tonight, he is the door. John chapter 10, and let's read together the first ten verses. The words of Jesus to those of his day, the words of Jesus to us tonight. He says, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, that one is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but they will flee from the stranger for they do not know the voice of the strangers. As Jesus was speaking to the crowd, look at verse 6. As he told this parable, as he told this metaphor, they did not understand what he was saying to them as he spoke. Interesting. Jesus is talking. They don't understand the word he's saying. Verse 7, then Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and he shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal, kill, and destroy, I have come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. Have you ever heard of these expressions? Sticking your neck out on a limb. Have you ever heard of that? I'll burn that bridge when I come to it. Running around like a chicken with his head cut off. That makes about as much sense as a screen door on a submarine. You look like a dead man walking. Stop eating like a pig. We've all heard those expressions. They're kind of part of our vernacular here in America. But do you know all of those expressions are metaphorical? They're metaphors. And when you think about them, I mean really think about them, a lot of them just don't make any sense. Others of them you just really can't figure out what somebody's saying. I say that because in John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking in metaphors. He's talking about himself. He's talking about his ministry. And in talking about himself as being the door, metaphorically speaking, he's going to talk about four different types of doors, and it's confusing the people who are listening to him. That's why in verse 6, they said, they heard, we hear you, Jesus, but we don't understand what you're saying. 
And that's why he follows up in verses 7 and following with the further explanation of what he's teaching. Jesus calls himself the door. Now, before we go into what that means, I'd just like to give you a couple of observations that jump out as we look at these ten verses. Notice it says in verse 9, Jesus says, I am. Do you notice that phrase again? I am the door. What Jesus is saying very emphatically, there's no stutter or stammer in his voice. What he's saying is this, I am God. In Exodus 3.14, as we've talked about in previous messages, God identified himself to Moses as I am that I am. Moses went to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh demanded to know from Moses who sent him, making this request to set the Hebrews free. And Moses said, I'm bringing this request from I am that I am. So when Jesus is speaking to the people, when Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders, he says, I am that I am the door. That's what he's literally saying. He's identifying himself with the God of Moses, the covenant God, Yahweh. Jesus says, if you look at me, you're looking at him. If you listen to me, you're listening to him. If you experience me, you're experiencing him because I am he. You can almost see the hair on the back of those religious leaders' neck bristling up. How dare him say he is Yahweh? How dare him say he's the God of Moses and Abraham? How dare him say he's the God of the covenant? He's blasphemous. That's what they're saying with their thoughts and with their words. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you he is God. And it's important that you understand that. That's not a minor doctrine, that is a major doctrine. If you deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will die and go to hell. That's how serious it is. It isn't negotiable. There's no compromise, there's no appeasement, there's no give and take on that. Some say, well, he's just a good man. He's not a good man, he's God. He's not a great teacher, he's God. He's not a prophet. He's God. He's not an angel. He's God. He's not some spirit master, as the New Agers say. He is God. And you and I must accept Him as God, or He will reject us at judgment. He is God. Many times people want to know, well, what's wrong with the Jehovah Witnesses? What's wrong with this group or that group? I can tell you what's wrong with them. They deny the deity of Christ. They say a lot of nice things about him. But if you ask them point blank, is Jesus Christ God? They will say no. Jesus Christ is God. He declares it once again to those of his day and to us tonight. And secondly, another observation. Jesus is also in John chapter 10 contrasting himself to the religious leaders who claim to be the way to God in John chapter 9. 
Most of us think when we read chapters in the Bible that John chapter 9 ends and John chapter 10 begins and there's no correlation. You do realize that it was man who put the chapters and verse numbers in. If you were reading this in the original Bible, which we do not have, it would all just flow together. There wouldn't be chapters and verses. So what's going on in John chapter 9, very quickly? That Jesus would make this contrast between himself and the religious leaders. Well, in John chapter 9, verse 34, it says that the religious leaders threw out of the church of that day the blind man who now could see because Jesus performed a miracle on his eyes. It says in John chapter 9, verse 34, they cast him out. Can you imagine that? He was the recipient of a miracle from Jesus. He went to the religious leaders and told them what Jesus had done and their response to him was, you're a liar, you're crazy, get out of here. Now why did they do that to him? Because in verse 25, he gives one of the greatest testimonies ever found in the Bible. The blind man can now see. The religious leaders call him, and they want to know how he can see. <laughs> Who is this one called Jesus that you said healed you? Tell us! And I hope we can watch this in heaven, because I'm telling you, this is funny. The blind man looks at him, and he says, Listen, you're the religious big shots. You got all the degrees. You know everything. All I know is this. I was blind, but now I see, and Jesus did it. Oh, they got aggravated with him. And they threw him out. Because like all religionists, they have no use for Jesus. And in verse 38, he not only had a great testimony in verse 25 of John 9, he gets a great salvation. Because Jesus not only healed his eyes and gave him sight, Jesus saved his soul. Notice his confession in verse 38. He says, Lord, I believe. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you're God. I believe you're the Messiah. And he worshiped him. Now what Jesus is doing as he goes into John chapter 10 is he's talking about thieves and robbers. Who do you think the thieves and robbers are he's referring to? It's the religious leaders. They were crooks, they were racketeers operating in the name of God. And Jesus calls them for what they are. They're not the way to God. They're not leading anybody to God. They're nothing but thieves and robbers. I am the door. If you want to see God, if you want to go to heaven, you'll come through me. That's what he's saying. Ladies and gentlemen, religion has never been a friend of Jesus. And it never will be a friend of Jesus. It's religion that crucified Jesus. And if religion gets its hands on us, it'll crucify us too. Because the servants will not be treated any differently than the master. Let me tell you what religion is, because sometimes people don't understand. Religion was invented by man. Religion 
was inspired by the devil, invented by man, to get around Jesus. Religion says there is something that I can do in and of myself as determined by a church or a denomination or my religion. There's something that I can do to please God and go to heaven without Jesus. That's what religion says. I can say a creed. I can follow a code. I can practice a ceremony. I can receive a confirmation. I can engage in a cause. I don't have to trust in Jesus. He's just one way. I can backdoor my way to heaven through other ways. That's what religion says. And we've got 10,000 religions in this world, and all of them will take you to the same place, and it's not heaven. Now let's look at verses 9 and 10 as we go to our text. I want us to zoom in. I want us to focus in on what Jesus is saying because there was some confusion among the people as he spoke. He's speaking in metaphors and some people can't understand metaphors and they didn't. So Jesus is now going to make himself a little bit more clear. He says in verse 9, I am the door. I am that I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he might be saved. No? He could be saved. He shall be saved. That sounds better, don't it? Let me give you some background as we talk about Jesus is the door to salvation, first of all. Point number one, Jesus is the door to salvation. In Jesus' day, when the evening came, all of the shepherds would bring all of their sheep to one central sheepfold. All the shepherds, all the sheep, would come to a centralized sheepfold. And they would put all of the sheep into the sheepfold. They didn't have any tattoos on the sheep. They didn't have any markers on the sheep. They didn't have any identification tags on the sheep. When it was time for them to get their sheep the next morning, all the shepherd had to do was speak to them. And his sheep knew his voice, and they would come to him, and he would lead them back out for the day. That's amazing. Each shepherd would do that. The sheep that were not his would not come. But the ones that were his heard his voice, and they would come out and they would follow him. Now, there was only one door into the sheepfold when the shepherds would bring their sheep in the evening. There was only one door. There was no side entrances. There was no back openings. There was only one door, and it was in the front of the sheepfold. So you got that pictured in your mind? The shepherds come, they bring the sheep. There's only one way to bring them into the sheepfold, and there's only one way to bring them out. Now, the shepherds were the door to the sheepfold. They didn't have a gate. The shepherds themselves, or a porter who was a shepherd hired for the evening, these shepherds 
since there was no gate at the entrance or the exit to the sheepfold, they would become the gate. They would actually lie down on the floor and they would keep the sheep from leaving and they would keep wolves and bears and other wild animals from entering in. So when Jesus says, I'm the door to salvation, he's making reference to something that was very common in that day. A sheepfold, sheep, shepherds, and what the shepherds did to keep the sheep in and what the shepherds did to keep the wolves out. And what Jesus is saying to them is this. He's saying, I'm the door to God's sheepfold. One day, all the people of God are going to gather together in a place called heaven. And I'm the way that they will get there. They will come through me. Or they won't come at all. Does that sound familiar to you? John 14, 6. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man goes to the Father who's in heaven, what? Unless they go through who? Jesus. That's what he's saying. I know many people in that day probably said, you're not going to fence me in. There's many ways of getting there, and I'll just do my best and see what happens. I know others probably said, I got my own thing going. I don't need you to tell me what to do. I'll do it my way. Maybe Frank Sinatra was big in that day. I'll do it my way. Well, let me tell you the problem with all that way of talking. If you don't want to be fenced in and you want to have wide parameters to get to heaven, if you want to do your own thing, if you want to do it your way, there is a problem with that. And it's Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end shall be the way of destruction. There's only one way to heaven. His name's Jesus. And if you don't go through Jesus, you won't go at all. You say, Pastor, that's narrow-minded. Truth is always narrow. Lies are broad. Truth is always narrow. Two plus two is four. There's only one answer that's correct. There's 10 million answers that are wrong. So Jesus said, I am the door. What he was talking about is, I'm the one way to heaven. You will go in through me, or you won't go in at all. And then he also talks about how he's the shepherd. Now remember, the shepherd was the door in that day. Okay? So the shepherd, so the door is not only a thing, the door is a person. Because it was the shepherd who lied down and became the door and kept the sheep in, allowed the sheep to go out, kept the enemies out. It was the shepherd who did all of that. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm the shepherd. I keep the people of God. And I do not let Satan come in and take them from me. Wow. That's interesting. What's he talking about, Pastor? He's talking about eternal security. 
When I let a sheep into the sheepfold, he's not going anywhere. Nobody's going to take him out, and he's not going to get out. He's mine. And also, he's talking about the fact that when Satan comes, and he does, Satan is not going to be able to bother us either. Because the Jesus who saves us is the Jesus who will care for us and keep us and protect us. Wow. No wonder they hated him. No wonder people hate him today. Because we believe a man can do that. We believe that an angel can do that. We believe a church can do that. We believe a, some religious hocus-pocus can do that. We believe the government can do that. But the only one who can save us, the only one who can keep us saved, the only one who can protect us in our salvation is Jesus Christ himself. And I'm so thankful for that because I couldn't save myself in the best five minutes of my life. I couldn't keep my salvation in the best five minutes of my life. I can't protect myself against the evil one, no matter how smart and strong I might think I am. And don't you grin, neither can you. I'm so thankful we got a Savior who saves. And when he saves someone, he secures someone, and he keeps someone, and he protects someone, and he says to the Father, you give them to me and I'll make sure they get to you. And I don't lose anyone. Jesus is the door to salvation. Secondly, we also see here, he's the door to safety. He's the door to safety. Look at verse 9 again, the tail end. And he shall go in and out. The one that is saved, he shall go in and out and find pasture. As I told you, the sheep in Jesus' day in the evening were brought to the central sheepfold. They were all put in the sheepfold. It only had one entrance door, the front, and the entrance door was a shepherd, not a gate. Now, when the daytime came, the shepherd would call his sheep out, as I told you earlier. And the sheep that were his recognized his voice and they would work their way out of, from the other sheep and they would follow the shepherd out of the sheepfold into the fields where there they would graze and go about their business until it was evening again and back to the sheepfold they would go. Now, while they were out of the sheepfold, while they were grazing, while they were watering, while they were doing all the things the sheep do in the daytime, what was the shepherd doing? That's not a trick question. What was he doing? No. He was watching them. He was watching them. He had a staff to keep them in line. He had a rod to protect them from their enemies. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For the Lord shall be with me, his rod and his staff shall be my comfort. Where do you think the 23rd Psalm came from? It was a shepherd's song. And what Jesus is saying is, 
when I bring you out of the sheepfold. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be stressed. You don't have to be afraid. Because I am your shepherd. I will call your name and you'll know who I am. And you will follow me. And when you go out into this world to graze and to water and to live your life, please don't worry. I'm watching you. The eye that's on the sparrow is the eye that's watching you. And I've got strong hands, as Reagan sang about this morning. And I can take care of you. Don't you worry. You're not only going to be safe in heaven in the sheepfold, but you're safe until you get there. Because I'm going to take care of you. I love Psalm 121, verse 8. He keeps our going out and our going ins. He keeps us in our going outs and going ins forever. See, He just doesn't save us and say, God bless you, see you in heaven, good luck. He says, come with me, follow me, I'll take care of you. And then lastly, Jesus is not only the door to salvation, He's not only the door to safety in this world of so many dangers, toils, and snares, but He's the door of satisfaction. Notice in verse 10, He says, the thief cometh not. I wonder who that thief is. Well, we know that the thieves and the robbers of, verse, of chapter 10 were the religious leaders, but they're just the human instruments of the master thief. And the master thief is no other than the devil himself. And the devil cometh not. We'll put his name there because that's who he is. But for to steal, to kill, and destroy. What is the devil's Modus operandi. What's he about? Jesus just tells you there. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. You want to know what the devil's up to? Those three words right there. He steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, let me, let me tell you what I've come to do. I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Jesus is the door to satisfaction. Satan... Is like a roaring lion, says Peter. He's on the prowl. He's looking for prey. What does he want to do? I just told you. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. And he wants to destroy. He wants to do that to unbelievers. But listen, he wants to do it to believers too. As long as you stay close to the shepherd, you're going to be in good shape. But sheep can be stubborn at times. I know not you, not me, but others out there. And I know sheep like to stray occasionally. Not you, not me, that's just those other ones out there. But stubbornness and straying causes the sheep to leave the shepherd. And when the sheep gets away from the shepherd, he's in trouble. Because lions go after not the herd, not the pack, not the team. They go after the loners, the individuals who drift off because they're ignorant or arrogant or sinful and they don't think. So Satan follows the master and the sheep just waiting for someone to get off track. Maybe you, maybe me. 
And Jesus says when that happens, he's going to steal. What's he going to steal from you and I who are believers? He cannot steal our soul, but what can he steal? He can steal our first love for Jesus. You see, the Holy Spirit wants to build a fire in us. The Holy Spirit wants to feed that fire with fuel. He wants that fire to be bright. He wants that fire to be warm. He wants that fire to be raging within us because fire attracts moths and fire attracts lost souls. When you and I are on fire for Jesus, it catches people's eye. So Satan comes and he wants to steal from us our first love. He wants to put the fire out, if you will. I just wonder tonight, just wonder, if your fire hasn't been dampered a little bit. I wonder, if, wonder, just wonder, if your fire hasn't maybe even been almost put out. Was there a time when you were a passionate prayer warrior? When you prayed, heaven paid attention? Was there a time when it was that way for you? Was there a time in your life when giving was generous? You gave large amounts of your resources and monies to the work of God and you never missed it. You were glad to do it. Was there a time in your life in times past when you served the Lord and it was enjoyable? I mean, you just enjoyed serving Him. You enjoyed singing. You enjoyed teaching. You enjoyed taking care of little ones. You enjoyed ushering. You couldn't wait for Sunday to come that you could do those services. Was there a time past where you witnessed daily? You got up every morning saying, Lord, give me somebody that I can share my faith with. Give them a love story track. I can tell them my testimony. I can share with them the gospel. Was there ever a time in your life when worship was exciting to you? I mean, you came and you brought your worship. You sang songs loud. You brought your Bibles and you got into the Word of God while it was being preached. You loved the fellowship. You, couldn't, you didn't want to go home. You wanted this thing to go on to midnight. You remember those days when the fires were raging? And then Satan caught you. A little off the beaten path and he threw his cold water on you. And what do we see today? We don't see any more passionate praying. We just see boredom. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. God is great. God is good. Let him thank us for our food. Just boring prayers. Clichés. Thrown out to God because you're supposed to pray and you don't want to feel guilty about it. Has your generosity turned to stinginess? I can't give to God no more like I used to. I've got to have another car. I've got to have another boat. I need another vacation home. I need some new clothes, some new furniture. I can't give to God no more, won't give to God no more like I used to. Is your service a burden? 
what you used to enjoy, you now endure, if you serve at all. Maybe you looked for an excuse to get out of it, and you got it. And so now you just come and sit and stare and watch you watch, hoping to get out real quick. And maybe that month, that, that we, daily witness has turned to weekly witness, monthly witness, maybe even yearly witness. Used to give out hundreds of love stories over the given year. Now you're good, good to give one out. Used to tell others about Jesus. Now you don't open your mouth. Is your worship dull? Is it dull? Would you rather be someplace else? You're only here because mom and dad said you've got to be here. If they, they didn't make you, you wouldn't be here. You're only here so you won't get a card from the pastor or the staff saying we missed you. You don't want to be here. If that's you, let me tell you something. The thief has done good. From his perspective, he has stolen your first love. He's put out your fire. But not only does he come to steal, he also comes to buy, Jesus says, to kill. To kill what? To kill our joy. Not only to steal our first love, but to, but to kill our joy. Satan loves to fill our minds and our hearts with lies. He's a liar. And maybe you've allowed him to whisper into your ears and your mind and heart things like this, God is bad. God is mean. God is cruel. God is hateful. It is God that causes all my problems and all my pains and brings me all my pressures. God is nothing but a party pooper, a cosmic killjoy, a dream wrecker. You serve God and you'll be singing like the hee-haw crowd, gloom, despair, and agony on me. You know, there's many sour, bitter Christians out there who have no joy because Jesus is no longer on the throne of their life. When Jesus is sitting on the throne of your life, when He is on the throne of your castle, I can tell you the flag that will fly off your fort is the flag of joy. And when He's not on your throne and He's not the ruler of your castle, there'll be nothing but sadness up there. And for some of you, He has killed your joy. You're critical, you complain, you gripe, you grizzle. And it's all because you think God has let you down. And then he comes and says, Jesus, not only to steal our first love, not only to kill our joy, but notice he comes to destroy our lives. To destroy us. Oh, listen, if you're a Christian, he can't take your soul but he can sure make a wreck of your body. He gets you to drink alcohol because you heard a preacher say it's okay to drink as long as you don't get drunk. And by the way, there's plenty of preachers you can go listen to to tell you that. And you know why they tell you that? Because they drink alcohol and they have to have an excuse to do it. Alcohol has a lot of defenders, but no defense. And then they drag Jesus' name into it and say, well, he turned water into wine, so he must endorse it. He does not endorse it. 
you want to get drunk, just get drunk. If you want to drink alcohol, just drink alcohol. But don't drag Jesus into it. So Satan gets Christians to drink alcohol. What made Milwaukee famous to make a fool out of you? And then he gets Christians involved in drugs. And those drugs over a period of time will fry your brain. If you don't believe me, listen to Ozzy Osbourne on TV talk every now and then. I'm telling you what, he's a space cadet. That man ain't got a bit of sense. He just mumbles and bumbles. He says things that are outrageous. He can't barely walk. You know why? Because he filled his body with drugs. And if you're going to dance to the drugs, you've got to pay the drugs one day. And then premarital sex, he gets us you involved in that. God is the inventor of sex, by the way. It's not man's idea, it was God's idea. In the beginning, he created man and woman. But Satan comes along like he always does and takes what God made for good and twists it and perverts it into something bad. And so many Christians today have lost their future because they have cheapened their bodies with sex. And then suicide. Satan can drive you so low as a believer that you see no way out and you just take your life. You see, he comes to do what? To steal. He comes to to kill. He comes to destroy. That's what he does. Thank God we have a shepherd that says, if you stay close to me, he won't touch you. And then Jesus, in closing, Jesus says, this is what the thief comes to do. But then this is what I've come to do. I've come to give you existence. Is that what it says? What did it say? Life. Life. I've come to give you life. And not just come to give you life, I've come to give it that you might have it more abundantly. Jesus says, I've come to give you life. I've come to give you abundant life. I'm not just coming to fill your cup up. I'm going to overflow it. I'm going to put some, some good stuff in your platter along with your cup. I'm going to give you eternal life. It'll never end. Your life down here might end, but your life will always continue. You're just going to move it up there. He says, I've come to give you a peaceful life. No worry, no stress, no fear. I've come to give you a joyful life. It'll be well with your soul. I've come to give you a hopeful life that things will get better. Things are going to get better. The best is yet to come. I've come to give you a purposeful life. Your life can make a difference. He says, I've come to give you life. And I've come to give it to you abundantly. As I close our message tonight, there's three doors. There's the door to salvation. Have you entered into that door? If you haven't come through the door of salvation, which is Jesus Christ, you're not saved and you will not go to heaven. Have you done that? 
If not, I invite you to come to that door tonight and enter in. There's also the door to safety. God's people shouldn't be living in worry and stress and doubt and fear. May I invite you to enter into the door and trust the shepherd who takes care of your soul to take care of your life down here. And then thirdly, there's the door of satisfaction. Some of us need to enter in and start enjoying the Christian life again. We're a bad testimony for Jesus. No, come, I love Jesus. Listen, sometimes that the Jesus we advertise, if somebody was lost, why would they want him? Maybe we need to enter into the door of life and start experiencing the life and all that goes with it that people might have an interest in what we have. And through that conspicuous display of Jesus that we have, they will become contagious to it. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.